There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch with Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. And today, Greg, we're going to be talking about diversification. The question is, what is diversification? And in general, it's the adage we all grew up with that said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now, most of us didn't know exactly what that meant when we first heard it, but the concept is if you drop the basket, you'll break all the eggs. But if you have many baskets, then there might be a greater chance of actually dropping one of them. But if you do, you'll only break one egg. And so the concept is try not to make a big mistake. In investing, diversification refers to the process of allocating capital in a way that reduces exposure to one or any one particular risk. And so diversification strives to smooth out what we call unsystematic risk events in a portfolio. So the positive performance of some of the investments will neutralize the negative performance of others. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So the two types of risk, systematic and unsystematic. So systematic risk is just the risk of being invested. Just because you're invested in a broadly diversified portfolio doesn't mean you don't have market risk. Unsystematic risk would be, I don't know, more like speculation. It's almost like gambling, I would say. You're investing in one item or you're buying one egg and the chance of that egg breaking is higher than the chance of all 12 breaking. Exactly. So with diversification of our financial assets, what we attempt to do is smooth out the volatility in a portfolio. Now, the benefits of diversification, they only hold if the securities in the portfolio are not perfectly correlated. That is, they respond differently or sometimes in opposing ways to market influences. That's something we discussed in our last podcast when we discussed the concept of beta and the whole concept of efficient markets. Greg, you're talking about measuring beta. And we talked about it last podcast about capital asset pricing model. And you made a comment about how it was good, but not great. That's right. And one of the reasons for that is because the capital asset pricing model really only used that one factor, which was beta or market risk. Now, of course, we know that there are different factors that do affect pricing of securities, and we want to address that in future podcasts as well. But the next question would be, why diversify? I've been thinking about diversification a lot, and we talked about it a little bit in our last podcast as well on how many Calgarian investors may actually believe they're diversified if they own not just oil stocks, but gas stocks too, and maybe even a pipeline. Maybe that's small company oil stocks and large company gas stocks. But it's a big world out there. And I know from the work we've done and following the work of others that Canada only represents 3% of the global market. So I looked at a little bit of data from Morningstar and I wanted to measure from a sort of a speculative concentrated energy portfolio versus the return of the Toronto Stock Exchange versus the return of an all-world index. So what I measured was the iShares Energy Index 
the iShares capped TSX composite index, and an all-world index. And the results aren't going to surprise you. In the last three months, the energy index was down 39%. The TSX was down 13.8%. And the global market was down 8.24%. I should mention that global market is made up 3% Canada and 97% of the rest of the world. And if you take that over one, three, five, ten 10-year numbers, I mean, the energy index was down 49, almost 50% in one year. The TSX down 7.7. And the world index down negative 3.19% where it starts to really come together is in the longer numbers. If we look at the five-year number on the energy index, it is down almost 18%. That's an annual number. So the TSX is positive 2.51%. Some of you might say, well, 2.51 isn't a great return, but it's a lot better than negative 18%. But the world index, which again is 3% of Canada, had a positive return of 7.05% per year. That's a pretty substantial difference. That's quite a difference, isn't it? So just to measure that, I wanted to look at the risk measurements we talked about in our previous podcast using the capital asset pricing model, which we agreed to debate whether or not it's a good model or not. But I looked at the beta on the energy index, the TSX, and the world. And of course, the beta on the energy index was 2.86 and the world was 1.02. So just showing a ton more volatility in the energy index. And we looked at it again by standard deviation. Standard deviation just being another measurement of volatility. Standard deviation on the energy index was 63.38. The TSX was just over 23. And the world index was just over 18. So I guess where the segues into is we've talked a lot in the past about this idea of a get rich versus lose everything portfolio. So anybody that had 100% of their money invested in energy stocks isn't having the same experience that somebody had in a diversified portfolio. The outcome differs. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that, Greg. As we talked about, the concept of diversification is basically one of reducing risk. Now, if you knew which asset class or security would perform the best next year, there would obviously be no need to diversify. You would only invest in that asset class. But if we assume that you can't predict with any kind of perfect confidence which asset class or security will perform the best next year, then by diversifying the portfolio, we will always be exposed to all of those asset classes and the better performing security is going to offset the poorer one. I use this expression with a lot of my clients that I'm sure they're getting tired of hearing now, but I always say it's better to be approximately right than exactly wrong. And that really is the concept here. In fact, there's a great expression that I heard from Carl Richards. And he says, you know you're diversified when there's always something in the portfolio to complain about. So the concept there, again, is just we don't know which asset class is going to perform well and which one is going to perform poorly. And so by including all of those asset classes and within each asset class being well diversified as well, it just gives us the better chance of being approximately right. And there's another quote from an interview with Peter Bernstein, who was a renowned financial historian and economist. And he said in that interview that, diversification is an explicit recognition of ignorance. So that's really not an insult, but really just an acknowledgement that no one can accurately predict the future with any kind of clarity. So that's the concept with why we would want to diversify. So the next question then is how do we diversify a portfolio? As we talked about last time, I mean, asset allocation is the first and primary method of diversifying our portfolio where we select 
and choose the percentage of the different types of major asset classes that we want to include in our portfolio. From there, we start to diversify within each asset class. So let's look at stocks for a second. When we're talking about stocks, we can diversify, first of all, as you mentioned, Colin, when you're talking about oil and gas stocks, well, we can diversify by sector. So we don't only own oil and gas stocks, we also own financial stocks, consumer discretionary, transportation stocks, and so on. And so diversifying by sector is one of the first ways we diversify the portfolio. Let me ask you a question on that, Greg, specific to the TSX versus the world index, because the results were quite dramatically different. There is some discussion about the TSX not being, I don't know, the best benchmark because it has such a high exposure to energy, mining and materials and financials. That's right. And you do see that when you look at the sector weights within the Toronto Stock Exchange compared to, say, the broad U.S. market, where in Canada we have very small technology and healthcare sectors, whereas in the U.S., of course, they're much more important to the overall market. Which gets to your point of just investing in Canada, which again is only 3% of the world's stock market capitalization. We do end up with a lot of concentration risk just by virtue of that. But I should mention before we even start diversifying by sector that the other way to diversify or where we typically start is by just having more names in the portfolio. So in the old days, I mean, people would have built portfolios with three or four stocks, hoping to pick among this vast number of available choices to pick the ones that would just perform the best. That, as we said, kind of led way to more diversification through the 1950s and 60s. But again, just adding more names to a portfolio will automatically improve the diversification, but not without going through different sectors and other areas. So we talked about diversifying by sector. Diversifying by geography, as we talked about, Canada is only 3% of the world's stock market capitalization, so a well-diversified portfolio will certainly hold stocks or companies that are trading in the U.S., international markets, and even emerging markets. The other way you could diversify is diversify by some of the characteristics of the companies or the stocks themselves. So market capitalization, is this a large company or is this a relatively small company? And both of those types of stocks will have different performance and trading characteristics, and so we can diversify by that. We can diversify by relative price, which is how is the stock trading relative to a certain fundamental characteristic, so price relative to its book value or some other measure. And so a number of different fundamental ratios have been looked at over the years, price earnings, price to book value, etc. And you can certainly diversify by having companies with different characteristics than that. That's stocks, and obviously, over the future podcast, we'll be talking more about some of those other factors or types of stocks to invest in. But within bonds themselves, as a broad asset category of bonds or fixed income, we also have to diversify. So, for instance, we can diversify by the type of issuer. Governments issue bonds as well as individual corporations. And those bonds issued by different issuers themselves will have different characteristics. We can also diversify by credit quality meaning that the higher quality bonds, which are investment grade or generally thought less likely to default and more likely to pay the interest when it's due and pay your principal back at maturity, those are called investment grade bonds. And when we get below the level of investment grade, we get into high yield bonds or sometimes called junk bonds. And again, with fixed income or bonds as well, we can diversify geographically. Bonds issued in the US or overseas by 
foreign corporations or foreign governments may have different trading characteristics. And so we try to diversify each asset class individually with broad diversification across a variety of areas. It reminds me of, you've heard that show in the United States, and I don't know if we're allowed to say people's names, but he runs a popular trading show. And he runs a show that says, are you diversified? I remember that. And <laughs> it's a little ridiculous because the callers will call in and they will list off the five stocks that they own. And this particular, I'll call them entertainment character, will tell them if they're diversified. I've heard that. In fact, I listened to one where the caller called in and said, am I diversified? And there was three stocks in that particular case. There was a U.S. bank stock, a U.S. railroad, and a consumer discretionary stock. And this person said, booyah, you've got three sectors. You're diversified. <laughs> I don't think we would go along with that analysis. It would seem to me that if you're focused on trying to accomplish something that requires planning money and time that's linked to your goals, that putting one-third of your wealth into one bank stock, one railroad stock. And what was the third one that you mentioned? I believe it was a consumer stock, something like a Procter & Gamble or some such name. Yeah, it's not logical to think that you would do that. Let's talk a little bit about how diversification impacts portfolio returns on that note. Diversification is meant to just smooth the ride. I've had lots of calls these days with this, what we're going through, this global pandemic and people still needing to take money out of their portfolios to cover monthly costs and such. Now, the question is, well, how am I going to take money out of my portfolio? And when we talk about it, we look at, well, number one, what's the asset allocation? Something we talked about in our last podcast. Not all assets are moving at the same direction or at the same speed. And not all securities are moving at the same direction or at the same speed. And so by having many of them, as you pointed out with your description of diversification, it just smooths out the ride. And that is just based on lower volatility. Something that is not occurring in the energy market, as I pointed out with a standard deviation of 63, now these are all relative numbers, but 63 versus the world's standard deviation of 18. What is that? Five times? Roughly? Exactly. So we want to have a lot of things, as you point out, to make sure that we lower volatility. What it reminds me of is things like a pizza chain. It's going to be kind of a weird analogy, but I guess the question is, why doesn't a pizza chain only offer cheese pizzas? Any guesses? Well, I would guess that some people like something else on their pizza. <laughs> Maybe somebody <laughs> wants more than just cheese. Yeah. And so if the pizza chain next door offers more than just cheese pizzas, they're probably getting the business. So we do a lot of work with Dimensional Fund Advisors and DFA put out a paper just last year called, Why Should You Invest? Or Why Should You diversify. In it, they discuss concentrated portfolios by country. And what they're able to show is that a period of from 2000 for the following 10 years, and I know you've brought up this number before, the S&P 500 had its first negative 10-year return of negative 9.1% or 0.91 annually. Very different from other geographical regions. The top returning area being the Emerging Markets Value Index. And we're going to get into value versus growth in future podcasts, but this particular area had a positive return of 212%. That's quite a difference. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out which one you'd prefer. Now, 
probably if you held all of them, you'd be somewhere in the middle as a guess. And that just goes to highlight how predictions can go awry. As we talked about previously, coming out of that 10-year period, which began with the tech bubble bursting and ended at the end of the great financial crisis in 2009, people were very down on U.S. stocks for good reason. I mean, they had just returned negative 9.1% cumulatively over 10 years and were seen as largely being responsible for the credit crisis itself based on their bad mortgage loans and things like that. And then here we are 10 years later and far and away the best performing asset class or large asset class that you would have been invested in would have been the U.S. stock market. And it's one of the problems that we face is that all people tend to extrapolate the future based on what's recently happened. And that's a problem. And when you look back, I took a look at returns during that decade from 2000 to 2009. And it's quite interesting because, as we all know, stocks have the highest expected return over time of most asset classes. But what was the top performing asset class in 2000? I don't know. Bonds. And what was the top performing asset class in 2001? I feel like this is a trick question. Bonds. (laughs) And how about 2002? Bonds. Bonds. (laughs) And so highly unexpected that you would see bonds outperforming stocks in the U.S. for three years in a row. But just because it's unexpected doesn't mean it can't happen. Again, so we could beat this thing to death with examples of unexpected movements or unexpected performance. But the bottom line is, again, by diversifying across those asset classes and within those asset classes and having an asset allocation strategy that you can live with, that will help to give all of us a more positive investment experience and a portfolio that we can live with over various market cycles. Let's talk a little bit about the behavioral side, because I know you've recently taken a certification in behavioral finance. It seems to me that when you have a portfolio that's highly concentrated to just a couple of names, be it the caller that called into the radio show, that that investor becomes either married or maybe that's not the right term, but they're solely focused on those three names, no matter what's happening. That's right. And it is a behavioral bias that it's the endowment effect. And that is that you tend to be more attached to things that you own than to things you don't own. And there's a couple of different things going on in many cases. So as I say, not only do you attach more value to things because you own them, but there's also other issues that come up with let's say it's a stock position that happens to be at a loss, you'll tend not to sell things at a loss. It's the loss aversion effect. And so people tend to hold on to their losers a lot longer than they hold on to their winners. But they also hold on to their winners too long because they don't want to pay the tax on a sale. Well, that's right. And so there's certainly a huge behavioral element in investing and that keeps people from doing maybe what would be the most prudent thing. And it's interesting during this course that you mentioned, One of the professors, Toby Moskowitz, who's a professor at Yale University, he believes that the biggest impact of behavioral impacts, let's say, on investing is results in poorly diversified portfolios for individual investors. And so in his view, that is the most significant major effect of behavioral mistakes that people make in investing. And so being broadly diversified can solve a lot of these mistakes And again, what we're all going for is a more positive investing experience. So these portfolios that we're talking about, these broadly diversified 
positions focused on the asset allocation being relevant to your goals. These are not hit a home run portfolios. Absolutely not. And as you said earlier, in an individual stock purchase, you might well see two possible outcomes that you mentioned. You could get rich, the stock could go to infinity, and you would be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams, or it could go to zero, and you would lose everything. And the concept of diversification merely reduces the bounds of those two possible outcomes. And so, obviously, you're not going to get rich beyond your wildest dreams, and also you won't lose everything. Even in some of the worst stock markets in history, they've never gone to zero. But certain stocks have. But individual stocks have many times. And so, again, the eggs in one basket, if you own one stock, there is a chance it will go to zero and your portfolio will go to zero. If you own 5,000 stocks, there is virtually no chance that it will go to zero. Well said. This notion of diversification isn't a new one. And our podcast is called Free Lunch. And we truly do believe there's only two items that offer some item of free lunch or opportunity cost. And that would be these first two episodes on asset allocation and diversification. Greg, what are we going to be talking about on our next podcast? As we start to explore some of these basic investing principles, I think the next thing we will talk about will be maybe one of the elements that can contribute to people being overly concentrated in individual stock positions, and that's the whole concept of stock picking. So how easy or how difficult is it to pick stocks, trying to predict which stocks are going to be the outperformers next year and which stocks are the ones to avoid? It's something that over the years, tens or hundreds of thousands of analysts spend their time and their livelihoods trying to analyze and trying to pick those stocks. And we'll dig into that a little bit. Yeah, let's not give it away on this show. Absolutely not. We need people to come back. But this global pandemic of biblical proportions, as you like to call it, has led to some other forms of diversification. I find that people are just doing different things now, different activities. Have you started anything during this crisis? Well, I am. I have picked up my guitar and I'm taking guitar lessons again online, of course. And I can tell you that my wife and I, mainly she, has just completed a 2,997-piece puzzle. <laughs> and I say 2,997 because it started as a 3,000-piece puzzle. And as you know, and some people know, we do have a large number of animals in our house. And I believe that three pieces ended up with one of the animals and not in the puzzle. <laughs> Maybe in the backyard somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it certainly occupied the first couple of months of this pandemic. So that's how we're spending our time. And what about you? Well, as you know, I've been doing quite a few things. I've been doing a bit of guitar, which I suck at, but I'm learning. And I've been practicing some Spanish. And I don't know a lot yet, but el hombres ella pantalones, which we talked about earlier, is the man is wearing pants, which is kind of interesting being in the office, in an empty office versus working at home. You do have to actually put some pants on and go to work. Right on. Now, listen, just a couple of things to close out here. I recently watched Planet of the Humans, and that was something that I think you had mentioned. Well, sadly, I watched about half of it, and then to my dismay, found out that it had been removed from YouTube two days ago. Not sure what that was all about, but a very interesting documentary if you do have the ability to watch it at some point and finish it. So you'll have to finish Planet of the Humans just like I finished Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And another diversifying item that we've been doing as a family is We've been doing these Calgary community COVID walks, as I call them. So basically, instead of just walking around the same neighborhood over and over, we go pick a neighborhood and walk through it. And I've seen more of Calgary in the last 
11 weeks than I have in the last 11 years. Any highlights? You'd think there would be a few. Nothing specific comes to mind. There's just these random items. You'll walk down a street and there'll be just somebody has spray painted a bicycle red and secured it to their fence for some reason. Just interesting items. (laughs) Well, it's a great way to see the city and it's probably something that most of us have not done. We do tend to stay pretty much in our local communities and that's a great idea. Well, there's my recommendation for this week is pick a community and just go wander around. Maybe not peeking in people's windows, but just wander around. Well, thanks for joining us today on Free Lunch. Any closing out remarks, Greg? No, I just encourage everyone, if you enjoyed this, stay tuned. And we will be covering many, many different topics over the next number of podcasts. That's right, because there ain't no such thing as a free lunch except asset allocation and diversification. So next time, stock picking. See you next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2020.